electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Jim Cramer. We're live from Post 9 right here at the New York Stock Exchange. Carl has the morning off. Let's give you a quick look at futures. Of course, we get started with the final trading day of the week. 30 minutes from now, you can see that we are expecting a uh, lower open, so to speak. Uh, Equities will be down across the board when we begin trading, it would appear. Big day for financial uh, sector earnings this morning. In fact, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink is going to join us, that company amongst many of the mega cap financial services companies that have reported earnings this morning. Looking forward to speaking to Mr. Fink a bit later this hour. But let's get right to uh, many of the bank earnings this morning, of course. We're talking J.P. Morgan, Citi, Bank of America, Wells, and the aforementioned BlackRock, which obviously is a money manager, not a bank. Um, Jim, it's almost hard to navigate given just how many we get and the commentary from each. The calls are at different times. Um, J.P. Morgan's call is ongoing, although I don't believe Jamie Dimon has begun speaking yet. At least he hadn't as of a few moments ago. BlackRock's call also will get cities during the show and then a couple of the others, I think, a bit later. And, you know, we always do like to caution people. The calls here are important. Um, even the, Q, the Q&A part of it, the script part of it from the CEOs. It's hard to get a read sometimes, Jim, coming at you in such an avalanche of numbers. All the stocks look down, but I'm not sure that that's the appropriate read, or is it? No, that's the appropriate read. And I think that what's happened is, is that not only is it baffling as the, because of the massive information, but the analysts got everyone wrong, every one of these. Every, they they got them all that, wrong. They all thought that there'd be much more net interest income than there turns out to be because we look at our checking account and we look at what they could invest in. We figure they must make fortunes. But there's a lot of repricing going on, and that didn't work. I take my cue from Brian Moynihan, by the way, who says, look, also the economy, don't forget, I mean, they're raising rates. It's not like they're not raising rates. So the consumer doesn't have as much money as before. Right. Um, you look at the Wells Fargo and it's down a lot. You say to yourself, okay. How in heaven's name do you really know what that number's about, given the fact that it's been in the crosshairs of the regulators? The expenses are down dramatically, which tells me that things are getting better. And most importantly, there's one line. The, block, the buyback is back. The buyback so, is back. And that's, right? you know, if you ask me what line did I want to see, I would say the expense line. What line shocked me? The buyback is back. Bank of America was terrific. City people are buying, David. They have no, no idea why they're buying. They don't. I mean, the, David, the city, the city, the book value, the tangible book value is 80. And this, look where the stock is. For I mean, you and I both have to say to ourselves, wait a second. There's something wrong here. Now, the one that actually is very clean is the one we're going to be speaking to. BlackRock. Black yeah, BlackRock was pretty clean. We are looking forward to Talking to Larry Fink, a first here for a squawk on the street. But back to the banks themselves. Let's sure. just keep going here. You mentioned the book value of $94.06 a share at City. That's you the, also that's mentioned the, the ability the of Wells to buy back stock. J.P. Morgan also 
Jim, uh, in his um, you know, uh, comments, at least, or in the press release, Jamie Dimon saying, um, we can now have the ability to resume stock buybacks this quarter as we deem appropriate because they have exceeded their CET1 target of 13%, one quarter early. Very high quality beat. The return on equity here was better than anyone else. Uh, the net interest income, when we start figuring it out, we're going to realize that it is actually better. Uh, I think that, that consumer borrowing is very good. I look at this one and I say, okay, you want to sell this? It's because it's up a lot, not because of anything. It has that you've moved heard. up. You made that point yesterday as very we sort of got quarter. prepared for these earnings. Many of the stocks had moved up, have had a good start to the year, right. uh, and we're seeing a bit of a retreat. Stephanie Link also said this, and it seems to be true. These things always trade very strangely around earnings. Well, I Typically down more yeah, than up. I, I just think, I mean, you look at the, some out of nowhere, we have an article about Goldman Sachs losing a lot of money in the consumer business. Good, get that out of the way before they report next week. Uh, the confusion of today has historically cost people a lot of money. I did a piece earlier this week saying, don't trade these today. Invest in them next week after you sit down. But Bank of America was a very clean, good quarter. BlackRock is the one that I want to be in. Wells Fargo, when people hear the quarter and listen to Charlie Sharp, they're going to realize that this is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is now behind them. There are still more consent decrees, but they're almost there. There's still an asset cap, not as important as it was. But, David, a buyback that I think is going to be the most aggressive of any company we're talking about, or maybe even this year. Wells Fargo. Yes. You think we'll have a very aggressive buyback. Yeah, and you're going to be in there buying it with them. I um, really like that. One name we haven't really settled on here, and obviously we're just jumping all over, is Bank of America. Let's come back to that well, for a I minute. I like Bank of America. Um, I mean, you know, I'm looking Brian. at a Wells Fargo note about Bank of America saying clean beat, clean quarter, offsetting yes. one-timers, tax benefit, offset by a DVA adjustment, positive operating leverage, right. charge-offs remain strong at only 26 basis points. Uh, the main negative, they say, which impacts results, is net interest income falling 100 million well, short of consensus. That's the point that I mentioned, and, and I think that we really don't want to lose the forest through the trees. The analysts didn't get that right. That's why um, the average loan, uh, the average loan and lease balance is up nice 10 percent. Nice net, not a lot of bad loans. Now, there's another thing people got wrong. You'll see that they have to start taking a reserve. That's because of how much money that they lend. They have to do that. The, the consumer is very healthy. That reserve is not a sign that things are getting bad. It's a sign of how banks have to. No, what but they, they have also to do with have the to make predictions for the economic environment, which does but lead me back to J.P. Morgan, if I might, for a moment. Uh, and uh, what is page three of their release this morning? The provision for credit losses was 2.3 billion, says J.P. Morgan, reflecting a net reserve build of 1.4 billion. Um, net charge-offs were 887 million. So they built more than they charged but off. That's Why? What well, they say. To. Driven by a modest deterioration in the firm's macroeconomic outlook, now reflecting a mild recession in the central case. Okay, so that's not what Brian Moynihan's doing at Bank of America. He's saying, basically, look, things are good. I love this. Record net income of $3.6 billion increased consumer banking, 15%. Uh, they are. Uh, so you think Bank of America has a more positive outlook on the overall economy than does J.P. Morgan? I mean, again, okay. this just goes to what your what your decisions are in terms of where you want your loan loss provisions to be, your credit loss provisions to Sometimes be. Sometimes you ask me questions, and there's a 
just a plain objective answer. And the answer is Bank of America has a more positive attitude. And has for some time. Yes, it has. And they've got good growth. By the way, technology is playing a big role at Bank of America in terms of their ability to be able to do a lot of transactions and have expenses come lower. The company we're about to talk to, Larry Fink, BlackRock, that's probably the most advanced technologically of any financial institution. I think these, these, a lot of these fintechs that we talk about could learn a lot by being an apprentice at BlackRock. Yeah. Um, all right, we're about to get commentary. We're probably going to hear from Jamie Dimon on the call. I think it, he's begun to speak. You know, I downgraded him yesterday from uh, Jamie Hurricane Diamond to Jamie Tropical Storm Diamond. Right, and I think um, that Jamie should be starting to talk, but he won't, about there's a possibility that after a couple of days of rain, the sun could come out. Well, I guess my, my question and point is that we may get some description of the macroeconomic environment from these bank CEOs that could have a broader impact on the market or no? Uh, yeah, I think it could just because it's going to, I think that you're going to look at and say, wait a second, maybe the Fed should be more considered in the way it increases because they're winning. Right. I think they're winning. There's a bit of a slowdown, and they're winning. And I'm I, obviously uh, pointing out there's still so many unknowns, including the war in Ukraine, including the impact that's going to have on fuel and food. Well, look, the stock, the stock at the bottom, when the, when the ten-year bottom, the stock, the stock was at 101, the ten-year bottom. Okay, and yep. now it's at one, 135, and down from 139. And I think that the one of the reasons I like Jamie Dimon so much, he is really not promotional. Okay, so I mean, he'll say he'll give you the negatives. Yep. And the problem, I want people to understand these things. I don't see Jamie during the off season, so to speak where I don't know, I, I take him at his word that there could be something really bad happening. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that is a bit of his nature. Uh, I do see some of the other bankers offline, and I think that they tend to tend to be people who just make a lot of money. At the, their companies make a lot of money. They could make more money if, the, if they were, let's say, um, knew what the Fed was going to do, just like the rest of us. Sure. Sure. That said, but, but J.P. Charlie, Morgan had a return on tangible common equity of 20 percent. 20 percent. I thought that it never would go past no, 7 I, percent I at remember, one point. Saying, remember you, you know, said yeah, 7 would be big? I, I sort of thought double digits, low double digits would be amazing. And here we are at these kinds of numbers. These are very good companies. And obviously that are very investment under- banking was quite weak, as we all know, in the fourth Should quarter. Should that sell at 10 times earnings if we think that the capital markets come back this year? And the answer is no. I don't think people understand, by the way, Wells Fargo was a deeply wounded institution. Charlie Scharf came in and found that there was far more that was troublesome than people realized. He's still cleaning up the Aegean, the Aegean stables. But when those stables are done, he'd be Hercules. You are getting really positive on Wells. That's what I'm picking up I have no choice, here. but it's the cheapest. All right. Okay, so that's what I'm going to keep in mind through the course of the year. We'll see how you do. I'll be right. You will? Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. I bet on Sharf. I, I bet on it before. Today's price? Visa, is that where I should measure it I from? bet him on a Visa, wanna, and I'm betting him on this. Yes. Okay. He better do it. Yeah, he better do it. Otherwise, he's going to be in big trouble with you. I want to take something back about Charlie. I had earlier said that he was inc- an incredibly mean man. That's just not true. He's actually congenial. I think he felt that I, I sometimes am too critical. I mention this just because uh, 
There's a, I just feel like he's a delightful guy who was caught up in a situation. Now he's delightful? He was, went from mean to delightful? Bipolar. You can occasionally, you can occasionally no, no, be no, highly critical. No, I mean, because I, just didn't, I didn't know how much trouble Wells was in. See, I thought that Wells had been cleaned up, and it's right. the Sloan era. You didn't had expect made, that last I, round of enormous exactly. charges. I didn't know the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau would come after him like Elliot Ness came after the organized crime in Chicago, which was not... Wells Fargo was not that bad, but they've been taken to the woodshed, and they're about to get out of the woodshed. 70 cents a share, $3.3 billion of operating losses related to a variety of previously disclosed historical matters, litigation, regulatory... Customer remediation. But you know, let's go sell it. Everything that people are doing right now, David, is based on nothing. Okay. And I have never really made a lot of money investing on nothing. It's true. It's based on emotion. They're looking at these headlines and trying. These are all conference call stocks. Can make a great TV show about nothing. I like that. Seinfeld. Oh, can you also just say that this is the worst day of the year? Because all these companies have reported this morning. Yes. This is a very difficult day for us to grasp everything. Uh, another story, though, that we can grasp a lot more easily is Tesla. Stock, as you see, may open down as much as almost 6%. The company extended its price cuts to the United States and Europe. It also got a sell rating slapped on it by one Wall Street firm. Let's give you another look at futures. We're still going to open down. More Squawk in the Street straight ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Tesla shares, uh, we just showed them to you, down 6% as we uh, head into the open 15 minutes from now. That may drag down the entire sector as well. The company cut prices on some of its vehicles in the U.S. and Europe by as much as 20%. Tesla may be looking to boost its sales this after it did fail to hit its delivery target for 2022. Still impressive, of course, with sales up some 40% year over year, Jim. But these are the key models. They now fall below the price level at which they will now be eligible or consumers will be eligible to get some of the tax benefits available under the Inflation Reduction Act as well. So that could also stimulate sales for Tesla. Well, let's go into this. Let's talk about the fact that let's use Ford Motor, okay? Ford has got the F-150 and they have the Mach-E. 
Uh, uh, 70% of their customers have never, they were possible Tesla customers. The mach is direct Tesla competitor to the Tesla Y that's being cross-shopped. I bring all this up because what's happening is Tesla makes about $20,000 a vehicle. So they have plenty of margin to give away to tempt people with lower-priced vehicles. So what they're doing is actually kind of using the old Henry Ford Model T position. They're cutting price in order to be able to keep their market share. What's interesting, David, is that therefore the margins are going down. They right. still make a lot of money, hence the downgrade today to sell up. Now, also, in California, there is a major negative for Tesla customers because a big Mach-E spike there. Big Mach-E spike. So I am saying, yes, there's actual competition for the first time. Right. The and model, there's price cutting. The Model 3, the Model Y, these are sort of some of the key the key ones, well, we obviously. Look, you, um, you, and you're competing on price. He makes plenty of money per car. And so he's competing on price. But the Model Y has not been updated in a long time. It's a dominant player, though. I just think that you have to accept the fact that the world has now, changed. You, you mentioned Tesla the, has real competition. They have real competition. But to what extent has that already been reflected in a stock that, as we know, is down some, what, 70% from its high, that Jim? Is, uh, you, normally, I would like to be able to opine on that better. A lot of this, I think, rests on the fact that this is, these were overnight price cuts. Yeah. Overnight. So it's going to cause you to take your, it takes your breath away a little. Um, I mean, you, and again, to your point, you have sort of, as always, differing views. Guggenheim does downgrade Tesla to a sell, uh, saying the numbers are piece. far too optimistic. Ahead of, we still haven't gotten the fourth quarter report. We got deliveries in production, but we didn't get the actual earnings report from Tesla. Um, and they say 89 bucks is their price target. Why? Well, uh, sizable gross margin missed in the fourth quarter. Of 650 Delivered basis by the dilutive impact of price reductions already. And they feel like uh, this year's estimates need a reset. They're uh, well below consensus on gross margin at Guggenheim. That's at least a part of it. Same time, Dan Ives says, hey, you know what? This price cut is going to actually stimulate a lot of demand. And we see a lot. Uh, we see a higher e- expectation of revenue growth. Okay, the problem with Dan Ives' analysis is what have we never had to see? We've never had to see a price cut to stimulate demand. This company had this field to itself. It, I think that I'm debating in my head what you said, which is, isn't this why the stock is falling so much? But the one thing that we don't know is, what is he doing right now? What's Elon doing? Yeah. At this very moment, I'm not sure. Well, what is the possibility that he's not as focused on his car company? I mean, remember Jack Dorsey? Well, that's... The downfall of the Jack Dorsey empire was the fact he was doing two jobs. This man's doing three jobs. And I am sure that Twitter is taking some of his t- uh, time. There's no doubt that Twitter is taking some but of his BMW, time. He's only seen... one man. He probably only sleeps four hours a day. Have it's... you been in the BMW, uh, even? No. It's unbelievable. Have you been in the Mustang Mach-E? I haven't, Jim. No. It's incredible. Have you been in the in the GM Hummer? I have not, Jim. It is outstanding. I always hated every other EV. Suddenly, I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing with an ICE? Really? Yeah, because these car companies are delivering EVs that make me say, you know what? This is no longer Tesla's. They still are the dominant player. But the other ones that are coming out, wow. And that is the key consideration for investors. All right, let's uh, get ready for Jim's Mad Dash. We'll also count you down to an opening bell that's less than 10 minutes from now.
Also ahead, don't miss it, our first on CNBC interview with BlackRock CEO Larry Fink. More Squawk in the Street straight ahead. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, let's get to a mad dash, and then we'll take you straight from there to the opening bell. Okay. Uh, a little bit of a diversion from uh, bank earnings for you in the Mad Dash here. Yeah, well, I just wanted to touch on the fact that that uh, very negative piece about the uh, defense stocks today. And there's actually a fantastic piece on CNBC.com about it. But what's going on, David, is, is that a lot of people bought these stocks expecting that you would have a big budget increase given the fact of the war between Ukraine and Russia. Instead, what we're finding out is that the change in the House has made it so that the possibilities of all these budgets could be, of all the different defense stocks, could actually be quite wrong. And I think that I happen to like uh, Raytheon Technologies because it's got aerospace. We didn't mention Boeing yet getting China, but Northrop Grumman, David, I think that's a fantastic stock. And they are saying very, very negative things about it. All defense budget issues. This is the first spillover of the, the House going public. And I think people have to recognize that the defense companies usually have bipartisan support, but they don't right now. And I think this downgrade is very meaningful. A lot of hot money is in these stocks because of the war. Yes, let these stocks come down. Lockheed Martin, very good company too. Jim Takelet. But Although it remains very much unclear whether there really will be any sort of a funding cut for our aid to Ukraine. David, if we have a government, we have a shutdown, people are going to be looking for thieves. Well, if we have a shutdown and we don't ex- and we don't raise the debt ceiling, we got a lot more to worry about than just defense stocks. Well, if we have nuclear war, we have a lot more to worry about than just stocks. Actually, I would argue we have nothing to worry about if we have nuclear war. Well, don't worry about your money. But don't I think you're absolutely right. I, I just, look, I just pointed out because I myself felt that what would happen is that there would be a, 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 a really a recognition that Russia can be beaten. Uh, and, but it would take Lockheed Martin and Northrop's help. And, uh, and that Northrop would be integral to, to preserving our relationship with Taiwan, which is so necessary for Taiwan Semi, because they have a fantastic bomber that needs to be stationed there. It looks like geopolitical issues are not coming up. What's coming up is a far more stingy house. Right. And... Only Goldman's come with this, and it's very important. Boeing, again, big defense, but not part of this. Got it. People Um, like Boeing very much. All right, as we get ready for an open less than a minute from now, you know, I always like to say sort of any keys to this market in terms of how we're going to trade over the course of the day, perhaps, Jim? You know, I... I, I want to go a little against against the grain here and say it's United Health. Okay. The reason I say that is because there had been a tremendous rotation out of healthcare at the time of the healthcare conference. I look at United Health, which had a blowout quarter, and seeing that if that goes higher, then that rotation may be over. Interesting. Yeah, you've made that point. Of course, many of the big mega pharma, big pharma company stocks are down uh, for the year. Uh, although. Coming back a little already, 
Insurance Group that's celebrating an IPO. Imagine that, an IPO. An IPO. Yeah, Jeez, let's go buy the bank stocks. Uh, Look, I I think that one of the things that we've left out, apropos of that, is these banks can make this much money without any capital markets. Let's understand that a J.P. Morgan is set to make a huge amount of money if capital markets come back. And we'll be able to start buying back stock a quarter earlier than it had anticipated. So, Maybe that will right. be seen as a, a, a potential positive. Well, I mean, look, the stock's down four because it's run. It's not down four because it's bad. I want people at home to understand that I did this analysis of what stocks are the most misjudged on the day they report. And it was a layup. The bank stocks have been far more misjudged. And if you look at them a few weeks later, they're rarely where they're priced right now. Um, you know, I downgraded Jamie Dimon to a tropical storm, yes, but you did. he doesn't seem to really necessarily want that downgrade. Uh, he was asked on the media call. JP Morgan has two calls they have a media call, then they have an analyst call. I think we're in the analyst call now. Um, but on the media call, he was said, hey, you know, what about those hurricane comments? Have you walked them back? Where are you in terms of uh, how you feel about things versus last year when you made those comments? And he said, personally, I'm in exactly the same place. Huh. I just want to emphasize we don't know the future. So you guys are asking a lot of questions about what's going on. We don't know. Maybe a mild recession. Maybe not. I'm simply pointing out there are geopolitical uncertainties, which are real. And we just have our eyes focused on them, and we hope they go away, but they may not. You know, I wanted the Jamie Dimon that says we are the strongest country, we have a great military, our universities are good. I guess we have to wait for his letter for that. Yes. Uh, But I will tell you that personally, I think that the bank is positioned uh, to help a lot of, uh, as is Bank of America, all the banks. I know that they get a bad rap, but a lot of them are spending a lot of money to go into neighborhoods that had been underserved. And undeservedly undeserved. Yeah. And they're trying to change that, and it matters. I went to a J.P. Morgan that was at 19th and 9th in Philadelphia, a neighborhood that has actually been quite tough that my mom's from. And they're there. And I think that we have to point out that FinTech is overdone. These guys are coming back with FinTech, with the Bank of America. And that they are doing, they're trying to make amends for what I think is a legacy of not wanting to lend in areas because there were, let's just say, uh, the profit wasn't there. There's something that um, I just said right. that I can't believe I said. You did. You did. Nice things. Uh, all right, let's get to Delta, Jim. We haven't hit it. It was one of the biggest losers on the S&P going into the open. It continues to be down about 5% after the company did report earnings. Operating revenue was $13.4 billion for the December quarter. Uh, operating income, $1.5 billion. The margin was 10.9%. Um, Market's well, not particularly happy with the number. But, uh, you know, Phil LeBeau, who is probably about as great a reporter as I have ever seen, points out that Delta's down pre-market because of how it's calculating its anticipated cost impact of pi- a pilot contract. But they still have strong demand and profit growth. Uh, start- the Delta's starting to impact January 1 of that, pro- of that pilot problem. Uh, and they have a contract that they can't really talk about. This is, by the way, UPS has a similar situation. Right. Co- labor contracts. Um, you think maybe impact of, of the storm? Both storms, uh, they took hits from the storm? 
but they benefited from passengers needing to rebook and, and turning the Delta in America. So I guess what I'm saying is, again, an overreaction to the downside based let's, on uh, headlines that are not as thoughtful as people like Phil Let's Lebeau. hear from Ed Bastian himself. Of course, CEO of Delta was a guest on Squawk Box this morning. One of the most difficult years operationally we ever had as we've got brought the air traffic system up fully for the full year. $2.7 billion of profits in the year for our company. It's the seventh highest profit level in our 100-year history in a recovery scenario. So that tells you something about the strength that we're building going forward. Stock down over 6% right now, though, based again perhaps on the outlook of the things you just said that we heard from Phil terms of his analysis of it, uh, but, although, again, again, not a bad year. Remember, um, we've, had, we've had a year in the first 10 days. Yeah. We've had a remarkable time, and there was only a matter of time. The market's the most overbought it's been since November 2020, uh, when, this, when the market had a choppy time after. Uh, I use a S&P, I, an oscillator that's pretty consistent since 1987. So I don't want people to say it's over. I do want people to say this is one of the tougher days. And look how many misjudgments have already been made. We know that Delta actually did have a good quarter. We know that J.P. Morgan, it can come down, but that may be a very interesting situation because of the buyback. Charlie Sharp at Wells Fargo emphasizing well, Wells Fargo, these expenses coming you're, down. You know, your you're, you're, uh, strong endorsement of the stock is not being well received in the market yet. Well, Jim. I don't Stock's really give a darn. I don't give a darn. The people who are selling it, they are people who I think have done some work. Do you want me to mark the close today or the open today? No, they do have for, a three o'clock conference your, call. Judging they, your they call. Three o'clock conference call. How should I, I? How should I do it? Do you want you want me to give you the down five and then I'll take it from there as a I buy? Would, let's talk to Sarah after. By the way, Sarah had an excellent interview with John Dono yesterday on Nike. Uh, from Nike, yes. And that was terrific. We go back and forth. A lot of people don't realize anchor to anchor, and I will I will talk to her about how things went. But I will say this, Wells Fargo is the hardest to understand because it has the most regulatory problems. Right. That's a, that's a good point. Um, overall, we got the market down about 0.8%. Uh, that would be the S&P, the NASDAQ, not far behind that, Jim. Well, we, you know, we, you know um, to your point, sort of across the board, most things are down. It's interesting. We talked about Tesla, of course. Uh, and yet it's GM and Ford that are down a bit even more, not to mention Rivian and Lucid. The whole group is down on, I guess, the idea that you cut price, maybe I got to cut price. Uh, I think that there's competition. Competition is negative. I also think that we're not getting from the banks that there will be no recession. Uh, I happen to think that the autos are very, the, that Ford and GM are very underpriced. But remember, GM was up huge yesterday. Yes. And, we, you know, we have to deal with the fact that some of these stocks were up so gigantically yes. that people just say, you know, hey, well, tell me something I don't know. GM's and there isn't still anything. up 8.5% for the year. Yes, you know, thank when you. It, That's what there's been a, uh, you know, this has been around a little bit lately, the idea of Ford, a company you know well, right. an EV, which obviously requires a great deal of investment. So they have a scenario under which they would consider spinning off something like that? I think that they basically, at this point, don't want to do that. They want to kind of compete against each other. The internal combustion engine company is funding a lot of the changes that they're making. Yep. They're talking about building 30,000, 40,000 cars. I'll have to tell you what I think the gaining factor might be. Taiwan Semi the other day said that they're really kind of almost done with the shortage of chips. Mm-hmm. I never want to cast aspersions on a company as well as it's well run as Taiwan Semi. I don't think 
That's true. I think there's still a lot of chips that need to be chipped, and that's going to hurt some American companies. Okay. Uh, when we come back right here, we're going to have a live interview with BlackRock CEO Larry Fink. It's the first on CNBC. All right, Bob, just a quick question. Not going to want to miss What's it. What's the number one performing stock in the S&P this year? I guess it's BlackRock. Hint, hint, we might get invited to the Labor Day party. First, though, let's go to the top. Let's get to the bond <laughs> report this morning. Take a look at how Treasuries are faring. We saw, yeah, no, yesterday yields actually ended down when we got that CPI number. You can see where we stand right now on the two-year note at 4.167, the 10-year 3.463. We'll be right back. BlackRock, world's largest money manager, out with fourth quarter results. It beat on both the top and bottom lines. The stock is up more than 30% just over the last three months. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is BlackRock's chairman and CEO, Larry Fink. Larry, it's good to have you, particularly uh, here on Squawk on the Street. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, well, happy year, David and Jim. Thank you. And to you. Uh, you know, uh, speaking of the new year, I was looking at your, uh, your sort of memo to colleagues where you talk about the current operating environment being unlike anything we've seen in decades. You talk about 2022 being a year of huge transition. How do you see this year shaping up, Larry? More of the same or, you know, are your expectations perhaps a bit different than what we've seen last year? Well, from the perspective of uh, long-term investors, I see 2023 to be enormously op opportunistic. Uh, actually, maybe the hardest years for investing for the long term were the last few years because of uh, negative interest rates. Uh, investors worldwide had to take on more and more risk to achieve their liabilities. Uh, actually, now having uh, you know two-year treasuries going to be close, you know, at, uh, at four and a quarter. Uh, credits at five, high yield at eight percent. We're going to see a whole restructuring and a rebalancing of how portfolios were constructed just a few years ago. And you're going to see now, once again, more bond investing within the within the confines of pension fund investing. In the in 20 years ago, most pension funds had 60, 70 percent in bonds. Um, uh, because they were able to achieve their, their, their role and their goals that they were trying to achieve. By 2018, they could not own bonds. They had to put on more and more illiquidity. And so in reality, we're going to be seeing more and more opportunities of, the, uh, of rebalancing back into bonds. And as you talk about a lot about growth equity, when interest rates are near zero, you, could, you have the ability to buy high growth stocks uh, because you're not losing any money. When sh if short rates go up to 5%, you're paying a big premium for that type of perceived growth. And that's a recalibration what th that we saw in 2022. And now we're living in an area where you're going to be able to invest differently. In addition, right. we are seeing more and more investors looking at infrastructure where you're going to have a combination of some illiquidity, but you're going to have high coupon uh, I think this is going to be a period of time with more dividend stocks again as a play. So I look at this as more opportunistic. And probably the most important thing of our announcement today in terms of earnings has been uh, BlackRock is winning more share wallet than any firm in the world. In good markets when markets are going down or in bad markets uh, or uh, good markets when markets are going up and bad markets are going down. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. this past year, we had $400 billion of net inflows in long-term assets. 
of which 230 billion came from the United States. And so we have now right. raised, you know, raised about $1.7 trillion over the last few years uh, from, from investors awarding us in good times and bad times and because bad of the times. guidance yep. we're giving right. and also our performance uh, and our fiduciary standards. Uh, understood. And, you know, last year, though, was distinguished by the fact that whether you own bonds or stocks, you had a bad year. You know, you seem to be Absolutely. saying, I, I don't want to read into it too much, but tell me, you know, are you expecting bonds to sort of become a better performer during the course of this year, which would seem in some ways to say, well, maybe there won't be as much buying behind equities for the year? Well, I mean, I, we still see one or two more tightenings. Um, we see, a, a, obviously, a very inverted yield curve. So the, so the market is saying, I'll buy, I'll buy coupon here. I'll, I'll buy it. Uh, uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying is we are going to see more and more of long-term pension funds reallocating back the bonds, more into bonds, as they receive new pension contributions. We're going to see more of that. Uh, that, that doesn't take away from the equity market, but I do believe you're going to see, as we're witnessed in 22, we saw a whole, whole recalibration of price earnings ratios, right. especially but, in growth. Larry, Larry, to your point, I mean, the bond market is now actually competitive with the equity market. As you said, in 18, uh, it was like, I can't get a return anywhere. This is a very different world now in 2023. It is a totally different world. And it's actually an easier world to take, you're going to take less risk to get to your target now more than ever before. So I would frame it, uh, you know, obviously we had the nightmare of 22 with both bond and equity markets down. But if you start today and look at the opportunity today, you actually have more opportunity going forward to invest with less risk and reaching your target returns that you're looking for for the long term. But Larry, first I want to thank you for coming on our show because I think you are a, a beacon in this industry. Uh, a couple of things Thank that I think friend. that you want to certainly I want to follow up on. You talked about share take, uh, and I know that you bought five hundred million dollars of shares uh, yourself to, for the company uh, during the fourth quarter, and that's up from three hundred seventy-five in the third. I'm going to just talk about how you distinguish yourself. One is just some extra extraordinary technology, it's the technology that's so much better than everybody else that they have to use it. And second, if you don't mind addressing BlackRock investment stewardship. Because I think that your edge may be also that you democratize people. Those of us who want to be able to vote in certain ways, Absolutely. you are technologically able to give it to us. How much are those advantages when you talk about share? Well, let me just start off in saying our technology platform continues to differentiate us. We had record cl new client demand for our Aladdin system. The expansion of Aladdin's capabilities uh, has grown dramatically. In, in, you know, we actually added a new geographic region. We have our first client in Africa. We have more and more clients in South America. We're expanding across the board. Using our technology, too, we were working on it for a number of years to democratize the vote. Um, there are people who believe that we have that BlackRock should not have the entirety of the vote and. And so we're, we, we've been working with our clients to say, we can provide you with a vote back. And so we developed technology for our defined benefit plans and some of our pooled, that we are giving them the guidance of what, what we see, but they are going to do the actual vote. They determine it themselves. And that gives us an advantage. And if the society really wants more and more people to have their vote back, we want to provide the best experience in doing that. 
And we are doing that. And it's just another example of us staying in front of our clients' needs, trying to be that fiduciary on behalf of our clients and trying to give them the guidance that leads them to be uh, the best they can for all their beneficiaries. Well, I think that it's important for people to understand. At one point, there were a couple of those. Uh, different uh, states that said they didn't like your uh, analysis, felt you were driving you, South Carolina, David, remember, driving you uh, toward doing things that were were not complementary to the state and weren't making money. Of course, I come at it from a completely different way, which is that I think people want want democracy and have actually not been able to have it. You offer choice. And most importantly, for instance, let's take on climate control. There was the late Jay Fishman, I'm sure you remember him, the maybe the greatest person, I think, in the insurance. He came to see me a decade ago, and he said, Jim, I want you to stop stop investing in companies that have uh, lots of land exposure to the beach, because you've got to understand that climate is going to be a risk factor, not unlike balance sheet problems. You have offered people in these choices. It's not been by dictate. Can you please explain how you took in even more money than everybody else, even though you, some states took this stance against your view? Well, as I said earlier, we raised $400 billion in net long-term assets, $300 billion net. Uh, in the United States, $230 billion of inflows from U.S. clients. Um, let me be clear. We, we need to address the issues that some of these states addressed. Uh, we want to clarify our positions if the facts were incorrect. Um, our job is... As you said it, Jim, is to provide choice for every client. It is not our money. 100% of the money we manage is our client's money. And we invest for them under their mandates, under their wishes. We are not political. Everything we do is on behalf of our clients and clients' needs. Uh, And if somebody in in, in a state that is more progressive that wants us to invest in one way, we will do that. And if if you have a more conservative view and you believe that is the right thing to do for your for your beneficiaries, we will be doing that on their behalf. That and and so we we had approximately about little under four billion dollars of outflows from these various states. But in the context of winning $400 billion globally in a year where every one of our public peers had outflows, the differentiation is pretty stark. We're winning more share of wallet because of the guidance we're giving. And most importantly, Jim, our performance has been pretty good. In fact, it's been very yeah. good. And so we are, yes. we're, we're a fiduciary first and foremost. By, by, by providing every state who wishes to have that vote back, we want to provide it to them. We want to democratize the vote. This is one of the reasons why I'm focusing on the whole idea of blockchain for securities. I look forward to the day when we could tokenize stocks and bonds that every stock and every bond, we could identify immediately who is the beneficial owner. And this is why we're working on it. And every beneficial owner, from an individual to an institution, have the ability to vote, to democratize every single vote. And that's where we want to take this, and, and we're leading that effort. Uh, Larry, you know, on this larger point, though, in, in many ways, you've become a lightning rod for criticism from both the right and the left in a way that a lot of CEOs have not even of financial services companies. Some of it may go back to that letter you wrote five years ago that still gets quoted often, a sense of purpose, uh, you know, January 17th, 2018. And I wonder, again, when the right says, you know, BlackRock is too oak, and then the left, or perhaps those who are more focused, say you're not really doing enough on ESG, it's greenwashing. Do you regret 
Having written that letter, I'll read a quote here from a New York Times story recently. Knowing what Larry knows mm-hmm. now, I suspect there are elements of his CEO letters that he would have omitted or written differently. That's a quote from Terrence Keeley, who uh, had been a former global head of the official institutions group. Do you regret those letters? Well, first of all, Terry's a good man and a good friend. No, I don't regret it at all. I think if you take every sentence I've said over the last 10 years in terms of my CEO letters, Every CEO, is, a CEO letter is about long-termism and the absence of long-term thought. And I do believe everything I said is really critical. I believe more than ever um, that every CEO has to focus on all their stakeholders. Uh, and if you do a good job with your, your employees and your clients, your two key stakeholders, your shareholders are the biggest beneficiary of that. And, and David, the, probably the best example is BlackRock. You know, I, I write these letters. We focus on our clients every day. We focus on our employees every day in every community we operate. And we've now been public a little more than 24 years, uh, 23 years to be precise. Our, our share price has appreciated 7,700% total return. We are the number one performing financial services company in the S&P during that time. Right. And, right. and it's because I'm willing to have a voice. I'm willing to speak out on long-term issues. And I strongly believe the best companies, whether it's research from Open Door, uh, that focusing on the needs of employees, focusing on your clients every day, allows you to build deep and long-term connection with your shareholders that produces long-term powerful returns. And across the board, if you look at every industry, those CEOs and boards and management teams that are focused on those issues are the firms of the future, and they have provided us, the shareholders, the best durable profitability. Yeah, all of that doesn't mean necessarily that you won't continue to uh, get your share of criticism. A lot of it does seem to come from the right. I mean, I had Curtis Loftus on not that long ago, a few months ago, the South Carolina treasurer, um, you know, who divested to to some extent. Again, these are relative. These are small numbers uh, overall. But, you know, he said to me and I want to get your response to this. He said, I don't represent the rich global elites that Larry Fink hangs out with. I represent Bob's plumbing and the insurance agent. How do you respond to something like that? Uh, we, we manage money for over 50 million retirees. We manage more money for more firemen, for more policemen, for nurses and teachers than any organization in the world. We represent their money and we take that responsibility with, with a deep and serious commitment. Our job is to give them hope. The problem we have in society today, few people are trying to provide hope. And I think one of the prevailing issues we have in the world today, and I said this in my prepared speech earlier today, there's uh, there's too much fear going on. And our job is to provide hope. Our job is to provide hope for more retirees that, and people who are building up to the retirees, that they can build their retirement pool to live retirement in dignity and decency, and no firm is more committed in doing that, making sure that we are the firm that provides hope, that's providing a ability that people can believe that they can have that wonderful life 
in retirement. And that's why no firm is doing more in retirement than BlackRock is. And so I would just answer it that way because I know what we are doing as a firm in every 50 states in the United States and what we're doing in other communities around the world, we are trying to develop more and more hope through performance, through guidance, through a fiduciary standard that clients are able to live their life with more hope. And I'm proud and I'm, incre I'm incredibly proud that that's what we're doing every day. Well, I share your lack of cynicism, as you know, Larry, because I think that hope has been and progress would be the word I would use and constructive uh, development uh, all have happened and they're actually empirical. What I want to talk about for a moment is something that happened yesterday, and I don't. I want to use it as an analog, not to be personal. But we spent a <laughs> tremendous amount of time interviewing Nelson Peltz, and Nelson Peltz brought up some very good, interesting points in his proxy fight with Disney. I go back to looking at your principles in your right on your website, the BlackRock investment symbols, and there are two of them that I want to talk about. You talk about the idea that you think long-term, but va value for shareholders, but there has to be sound corporate governance, and the results, they must be accountable. And I thought that what Nelson Peltz was talking about yesterday was situations where heads they win, tails they win. They buy a company that they pay too much for. They're compensated anyway. If it works, they're compensated even more. There were many things that Nelson brought up that would make me indicate that perhaps when you do your proxy analysis, you're taking these accounts very seriously. Do you think that there are situations where if people knew they had a chance and they knew about their democracy, they might vote with Nelson against Disney. Look, at um, this is why I love capitalism. This is why I'm a capitalist. Um, and this is why I love public markets. Public markets show the good of companies and the bad of companies, show the weak in, governments, uh, in, in, in uh, governance and, and the strength in governance. It, it, it reveals very willingly and easily who are going to be the winners and losers. Whether uh, Nelson and any other activist has a right point or a wrong point, I think you're correct, Jim. Democratizing these votes will allow more people to convey their feelings as an owner of the company. And this is what we're trying to do. And we're trying to do this in making sure that more and more people have the ability to speak their mind in the companies they own. And that is the power of capitalism. And this is why I'm so proud of the developments in the financial markets in the United States and the opportunities we have. And because of all this transparency, Jim, this is why the United States equity markets trade repeatedly three to four multiple points above any other market in the world. It is the power of our capitalism, but more importantly, because we have the broadest, deepest retirement market, we have more long-term savers who are putting their money to work and investing in companies like Disney or BlackRock or whoever they may wish to invest in. And, that, and then we have the ability to, you know, every year unvote on the success or failures of every one company. Okay, Larry, do you think that there's enough awareness? For instance, again, on your website, you talk about individuals can pick from a range of voting policies to reflect their preference. I think most people do not know that's available and think that this is not democracy. It's just that you've got to just accept the fact about what a company says. How can awareness be brought to the American public that own stocks? Well, hopefully we uh, more and more companies put that on their own website that uh, you have the ability to vote, please vote. I mean, 
Look at uh, one of the big issues we saw since we moved from a paperless proxy, fewer and fewer individuals vote. And so a lot of this, we're in this transition again as we moved, as we've changed proxy voting. Uh, you know, we are we actually are seeing uh, fewer and fewer individual votes. We got to we have to reeducate in helping people. We in some of our product, we don't have the ability to provide the vote to those individuals, though. Uh, because like in the form of ETFs, we don't actually under we don't have a role of whose ownership, uh, who's the beneficial right. owner of that ETF. And so much of this is going to require regulatory changes in the defined contribution plans. Same idea that that cannot be done. Yeah. There needs to be a, some regulatory changes to allow everybody in the defined contribution plan to have that ability. We do have the technology to do that. Now we need some regulatory relief. Right. And this is one Larry, thing that we're focusing on. Uh, let, me, let me just end. I want to end with one last question, which is about active sure. management. You generated $135 billion of active net inflows. Those of us have been following active managers for many years. I guess hope springs eternal. Uh, you know, I mean, how do you defend an active manager versus saying, hey, come on, just just invest passively because they never beat the index. There's winners and losers in active management. It's hard to pick who's going to be the winner in the future. Uh, the history is not any indication of the future. I, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in active investing. That being said, <clears throat> the most of the money that's going into ETFs, which everyone thinks is passive, is not passive. It's active investing using ETFs to actively manage their, their portfolio, to actively express how they want to manage their portfolio. In bonds, that is going to become the giant revolution, using ETFs to actively manage your bond portfolio. Because you can own a few ETFs to convey your, uh, your actively expressed desires through convexity, duration, and credit. And so all of these issues are changing. And so there's a lot of confusion when we compare the index products yeah. versus active. And a much of the active or the index investing is not passive, but active investors utilizing these instruments to express their exposures. 2022 was not a good year for active fundamental equities. But active investing worked in many other asset categories. It certainly worked in many of the fixed income categories, some of the credit categories, and some of the yeah. uh, 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 value categories of equities. Um, but, but, but this is why it's very important for investors to, uh, you know, take time and understand, you know, how are they going to blend their total portfolio? And that's right. going to be the more, and that's one of the yep. biggest growth opportunities for BlackRock. Much of our active growth was when we have been asked to manage a whole portfolio. And I believe more okay. and more organizations are going to be outsourcing their entire uh, general account and others and, and giving and awarding firms like BlackRock their entire portfolio. Well, that's a good place for you to end, certainly, and we'll be following that closely. Uh, Larry, I appreciate you, Larry. you joining us today. Thank you. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.